Section thirty four of Roxana by Daniel Defoe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. We supped pretty late at night and were very merry, for my husband said all the pleasant things he could think of to divert me from the supposed illness he thought I had been troubled with in the day. Quaker kept up the discourse with great spirit, and I was glad to receive the impression, for I wanted the real illness to be drove out of my head. The next morning after breakfast, Thomas came to his new place. He appeared very clean, and brought with him a small bundle, which I supposed to be linen, tied up in a handkerchief. My husband sent him to order some porters belonging to the quay to fetch up boats to the custom-house, where they were searched, for which we paid one shilling and he had orders to give a crown for head-money, as they called it. The demand by custom is but sixpence a head, but we appeared to our circumstances in everything. As soon as our baggage was searched, it was carried from the custom-house on board the packet-boat, and there lodged in the great cabin as we had ordered it. This took up the time till dinner, and when we were sitting together after we had both dined, the captain came to tell us that the wind was very fair, and that he was to sail at high water which would be about ten o'clock at night. My husband asked him to stay, and drink part of a bottle of wine with him, which he did, and their discourse being all in the maritime strain, the Quaker and I retired, and left them together, for I had something to remind her of in our discourse before we left London. When we got into the garden, which was rather neat than fine, I repeated all my former requests to her about my children, Spitalfields, Amy, etc., and we sat talking together till Thomas was sent to tell us the captain was going, on which we returned. But by the way, I kissed her, and put a large gold medal into her hand, as a token of my sincere love, and desired that she would never neglect the things she had promised to perform, and her repeated promise gave me great satisfaction. The captain, who was going out of the parlour as we returned in, was telling my husband he would send six of his hands to conduct us to the boat about a quarter of an hour before he sailed, and as the moon was at the full, he did not doubt of a pleasant passage. Our next business was to pay off the coachman, to whom my husband gave half a guinea extraordinary to set the Quaker down at the house he took us all up at, which he promised to perform. As it was low water, we went on board to see the captain that we were to go our voyage in, and the captain would detain us to drink a glass of the best punch, I think, I ever tasted. When we returned to the inn, we ordered supper to be ready by eight o'clock, that we might drink a parting glass to settle it, before we went on board. And my husband, who knew the sea very well, said a full stomach was the forerunner of sea-sickness, which I was willing to avoid. We invited the landlord, his wife and daughter, to supper with us, and having sat about an hour afterwards, the captain himself with several sailors came to fetch us to the vessel. As all was paid, we had nothing to hinder us but taking a final leave of the Quaker, who would go to see us safe in the vessel, where tears flowed from both our eyes, and I turned short in the boat while my husband took his farewell, and he then followed me. And I never saw the Quaker, or England, any more. We were no sooner on board than we hoisted sail. The anchors being up and the wind fair, we cut the waves at a great rate, till about four o'clock in the morning, when a French boat came to fetch the mail to carry it to the post-house, 
and the boat cast her anchors, for we were a good distance from the shore, neither could we sail to the town till next tide, the present one being too far advanced in the ebb. We might have gone on shore in the boat that carried the mail, but my husband was sleeping in the cabin when it came to the packet-boat. I did not care to disturb him. However, we had an opportunity soon after, for my husband awaking, and two other boats coming up with oars to see for passengers, Thomas came to let us know we might go on shore if we pleased. My husband paid the master of the packet-boat for our passage, and Thomas, with the sailor's assistance, got our boxes into the wherry, so we sailed for Calais but before our boat came to touch ground, several men, whose bread I suppose it is, rushed into the water, without shoes or stockings, to carry us on shore. So having paid ten shillings for the wherry, we each of us was carried from the boat to the land by two men, and our goods brought after us. Here was a crown to be paid, to save ourselves from being wet, by all which a man that is going a-travelling may see that it is not the bare expense of the packet-boat that will carry him to Calais. It would be needless to inform the reader of all the ceremonies that we passed through at this place before we were suffered to proceed on our journey. However, our boxes, having been searched at the custom-house, my husband had them plumbed, as they called it, to hinder any further inquiry about them, and we got them all to the Silver Lion, a noted inn, and the post-house of this place, where we took a stage-coach for ourselves, and the next morning, having well refreshed ourselves, we all, my husband, self, and chambermaid within the coach, and Thomas behind, beside which my husband hired two horsemen, well armed, who were pretty expensive to travel with us, set forward on our journey. We were five days on our journey from Calais to Paris, which we went through with much satisfaction, having fine weather and good attendance we had nothing to hope for. When we arrived at Paris, I began to be sorry I had ever proposed going to it for fear of being known, but as we were to stay there but a few days, I was resolved to keep very retired. We went to the merchant's house of my husband's acquaintance in the Rue de la Boule, near the Carmelites, in the Faubourg de Saint-Jacques. This being a remote part of the city, on the south side, and near several pleasant gardens, I thought it would be proper to be a little indisposed, that my husband might not press me to go with him to see the curiosities, for he could do the most needful business, such as was going to the bankers to exchange bills, dispatching of letters, settling affairs with merchants, etc., without my assistance, and I had a tolerable plea for my conduct, such as the great fatigue of our journey, being among strangers, etc. So we stayed at Paris eight days without my going to any particular places, except going one day to the gardens of Luxembourg, another to the church of Notre-Dame on the Isle of Paris, a third to the Hôtel Royal des Invalides, a fourth to the gardens of the Tuileries, a fifth to the suburbs of Saint-Rorens, to see the fair which was then holding there, a sixth to the gardens of the Louvre, a seventh to the playhouse, and the eighth stayed all day at home to write a letter to the Quaker, letting her know where I then was, and how soon we should go forwards in our journey, but did not mention where we intended to settle, as indeed we had not yet settled that ourselves. One of the days, that in which I went to the gardens of the Tuileries, I asked Thomas several questions about his father, mother, and other relations, being resolved, notwithstanding he was my own son, as he did not know it, to turn him off by some stratagem or another, if he had any manner of memory, either as his mother or the Lady Roxana. 
I asked him if he had any particular memory of his mother or father. He answered, No, I scarce remember anything of either of them, said he, but I have heard from several people that I had one brother and three sisters, though I never saw them all. To know them, notwithstanding I lived with an aunt four years, I often asked after my mother, and some people said she went away with a man, but it was allowed by most people that best knew her that she, being brought to the greatest distress, was carried to the workhouse belonging to the parish, where she died soon after with grief. Nothing could give me more satisfaction than what Thomas had related, so now I thought I would ask about the Lady Roxana, for he had been my next-door neighbour when I had that title conferred on me. Pray, Thomas, said I, did not you speak of a great person of quality, whose name I have forgot, that lived next door to my lord when you was his valet? Pray, who was she? I suppose a foreigner by the name you called her? Really, my lady, replied he, I do not know who she was. All I can say of her is that she kept the greatest company and was a beautiful woman, by report. But I never saw her. She was called the Lady Roxana, was a very good mistress, but her character was not so good as to private life as it ought to be. Therefore, I once had an opportunity, continued he, of seeing a fine outlandish dress she danced in before the king, which I took as a great favour, for the cook took me up in when the lady was out, and she desired my lady's woman to show it to me. All this answered right, and I had nothing to do but to keep my Turkish dress out of the way, to be myself unknown to my child, as he had never seen Roxana, so he knew nothing of me. In the interval my husband had hired a stage-coach to carry us to the city of Minin, where he intended to go by water down the river Lys to Ghent, and there take coach to Isabella Fort, opposite the city of Anvers, and cross the river to that place and go from thence by land to Breda, as we had agreed, and settled this patrol I was satisfied, and we set out next day. We went through several handsome towns and villages before we took water, but by water we went round part of the city of Courtrai and several fortified towns. At Anvers we hired a coach to Breda, where we stayed two days to refresh ourselves, for here we had been very much fatigued as Willemstadt was situated so as to be convenient for our taking water for Rotterdam, we went there, and being shipped, had a safe and speedy voyage to that city. As we had resolved in our journey to settle at The Hague, we did not intend to stay any longer at Rotterdam than while my husband had all our wealth delivered to him from the several merchants he had consigned it to. This business took up a month during which time we lived in ready-furnished lodgings in the great quay, where all the respect was shown as was due to our quality. Here my husband hired two more men-servants, and I took two maids, and turned Isabel, who was a well-bred, agreeable girl, into my companion. But that I might not be too much fatigued, my husband went to The Hague first, and left me with three maids and Thomas at Rotterdam, while he took a house, furnished it, and had everything ready for my reception, which was done with great expedition. One of his footmen came with a letter to me one morning to let me know his master would come by the scow next day to take me home, in which he desired that I would prepare for my departure. I soon got everything ready, and the next morning on the arrival of the scow I saw my husband, 
and we both, with all the servants, left the city of Rotterdam, and safely got to the Hague the afternoon following. It was now the servants had notice given them to call me by the name of my lady, as the honour of baronetage had entitled me, and with which title I was pretty well satisfied, but should have been more, so had not I yet the higher title of countess in view. I now lived in a place where I knew nobody. Neither was I known, on which I was pretty careful whom I became acquainted with. Our circumstances were very good, my husband loving to the greatest degree, my servants respectful, and, in short, I lived the happiest life woman could enjoy. Had my former crimes never crept into my guilty conscience? I was in this happy state of life when I wrote a letter to the Quaker, in which I gave her a direction where she might send to me. At about a fortnight after, as I was one afternoon stepping into my coach in order to take an airing, the postman came to our door with letters, one of which was directed to me, and as soon as I saw it was the Quaker's hand, I bid the coachman put up again, and went into my closet to read the contents, which were as follows. Dear friend, I have had occasion to write to thee several times since we saw each other, but as this is my first letter, so it shall contain all the business thou wouldst know. I got safe to London, by thy careful ordering of the coach, and the attendants were not at all wanting in their duty. When I had been at home a few days, thy woman, Mrs. Amy, came to see me, so I took her to task as thou ordered me about murdering thy pretended daughter. She declared her innocence, but said she had procured a false evidence to swear a large debt against her, by that means had put her into a prison, and feed the keepers to hinder her from sending any letter or message out of the prison to any person whatever. This, I suppose, was the reason thou thought she was murdered, because thou wert relieved from her by this base usage. However, when I heard of it, I checked Amy very much, and was well satisfied to hear she was alive. After this, I did not hear from Amy for above a month. In the interim, as I knew thou wast safe, I sent a friend of mine to pay the debt, and release the prisoner, which he did, but was so indiscreet as to let her know who was the benefactress. My next care was to manage thy Spitalfields business which I did with much exactness, and the day that I received thy last letter Amy came to me again, and I read as much of it to her as she was concerned in. Nay, I entreated her to drink tea with me, and after it one glass of citron, in which she drank towards thy good health, and she told me she would come to see thee as soon as possible. Just as she was gone, I was reading thy letter again in the little parlour, and that turbulent creature, thy pretended daughter, came to me, as she said to return thanks for the favour I had done her. So I accidentally laid thy letter down in the window while I went to fetch her a glass of cordial, for she looked sadly, and before I returned I heard the street door shut on which I went back without the liqueur, not knowing who might have come in, but missing her, I thought she might be gone to stand at the door, and the wind had blown it too, but I was never the nearer, she was sought for in vain. 
so when I believed her to be quite gone, I looked to see if I missed anything, which I did not, but at last, to my great surprise, I missed your letter, which she certainly took and made off with. I was so terrified at this unhappy chance, that I fainted away, and had not one of my maidens come in at that juncture, it might have been attended with fatal consequences. I would advise thee to prepare thyself to see her, for I verily believe she will come to thee. I dread your knowing of this, but hope the best. Before I went to fetch the unhappy cordial, she told me, as she had often done before, that she was the eldest daughter, that the captain's wife was your second daughter and her sister, and that the younger sister was dead. She also said there were two brothers, the eldest of whom had never been seen by any of them since he ran away from an uncle's at nine years of age, and that the youngest had been taken care of by an old lady that kept her coach, whom he took to be his godmother. She gave me a long history in the manner of which she was arrested and thrown into Whitechapel jail. How hardly she fared there and at length the keeper's wife, to whom she told her pitiful story, took compassion of her, and recommended her to the bounty of a certain lady, who lived in that neighbourhood, that redeemed prisoners for small sums, as they lay for their fees every term of the day of their nativity, that she was one of the six the lady had discharged, that the lady prompted her to seek after her mother, that she thereupon did seek thee in all the towns and villages between London and Dover, that not finding thee at Dover she went to deal, and that at length she being tired of seeking thee she returned by shipping to London, where she was no sooner arrived, but she was immediately arrested and flung into the Marshalsea prison, where she lived in a miserable condition, without the use of pen, ink, and paper, and without the liberty of having any one of her friends come near her. In this condition, I was, continued she, when you sent and paid my debt for me, and discharged me. When she had related all this, she fell into such a fit of crying, sighing, and sobbing, for which, when she was a little recovered, she broke out into loud exclamations against the wickedness of the people in England, that they could be so unchristian as to arrest her twice, when she said it was as true as the gospel that she never did owe to any one person the sum of one shilling in all her life, that she could not think who it was that should owe her so much ill-will, for that she was not conscious to herself, that she had any way has offended any person in the whole universal world except mrs amy in the case of her mother which she affirmed she was acquitted of by all men and hoped she should be so by her maker and that if she mrs amy had any hand in her sufferings god would forgive her as she heartily did but then she added i will not stay in england i will go all over the world i will go to france to Paris, I know my mother did once live there, and if I do not find her there, I will go through Holland to Amsterdam, to Rotterdam, in short, I will go till I find my mother out, if I should die in the pursuit. I should be glad to hear of thine and thy spouse's welfare, and remain with much sincerity your sincere friend, M. P. Ninth of the month called If thou hast any business to transact in this city, pray let me know. I shall use my best endeavours to oblige thee. My daughters all join with me in willing thee a hearty farewell. I concealed my surprise for a few minutes, only 
till I could get into the summer house at the bottom of our large garden. But when I was shut in, no living soul can describe the agony I was in. I raved, tore, fainted away, swore, prayed, wished, cried and promised, but all availed nothing. I was now stuck in to see the worst of it, let what would happen. At last I came to the following resolution, which was to write a letter to the Quaker, and in it enclose a fifty-pound bank-bill, and tell the Quaker to give that to the young woman if she called again, and also to let her know a fifty-pound bill should be sent her every year, so long as she made no inquiry after me, and kept herself retired in England, although this opened myself too full to the Quaker, yet I thought I had be better venture my character abroad than destroy my peace at home. Soon after my husband came home, and he perceived I had been crying, and asked what was the reason. I told him that I had shed tears both for joy and sorrow. For, said I, I have received one of the tenderest letters from Amy, as it was possible for any person. And she tells me in it, added I, that she will soon come to see me, which so overjoyed me that I cried. And after it I went to read the letter a second time, as I was looking out of the summer-house window over the canal, and in unfolding it I accidentally let it fall in by which mischance it was lost, for which I am very sorry, as I intended you should see it. Pray, my dear, said he, do not let that give you any uneasiness. If Amy comes, and you approve of it, you have my consent to take her into the house, in what capacity you please. I am very glad, continued he, that you have nothing of more consequence to be uneasy at. I fancy you would make but an indifferent helpmate if you had. Oh, I thought to myself, if you but knew half the things that lie in my conscience, I believe you would think that I bear them out past all example. About ten days afterwards, as we were sitting at dinner with two gentlemen, one of the footmen came to the door and said, My lady, here is a gentlewoman at the door who desires to speak with you. She says her name is Mrs. Amy. I knew sooner heard her name, but I was ready to swoon away. But I ordered the footman to call Isabel, and ask the gentlewoman to walk up with her into my dressing-room, which she immediately did, and there I went to have my first interview with her. She kissed me for joy when she saw me, and I sent Isabel downstairs, for I was in pain, till I had some private conversation with my old confidant. There was not much ceremony between us before I told her all the material circumstances that had happened in her absence, especially about the girl's imprisonments which she had contrived, and how she had got my letter at the Quakers the very day she had been there. Well, says Amy, when I told her all, I find nothing is to ensue if she lives but your ruin. You did not agree to her death, so I won't make myself uneasy about her life. It might have been rectified, but you are angry with me for giving you the best of counsel when I proposed to murder her. Hussy, said I, in the greatest passion imaginable, how dare you mention the word murder, you wretch, you! I could find in my heart, if my husband and the company were gone, to kick you out of my house, 
have you not done enough to kill her in throwing her into one of the worst jails in england where you see that providence in a peculiar manner appeared to her assistance away thou art a wicked wretch thou art a murderer in the sight of god i will say no more says amy but if i could have found her after thy friend the quaker had discharged her out of the marshalsea prison i had laid a scheme to have her taken up for a theft and by that means got her transported for fourteen years she will be with you soon i am sure i believe she is now in holland while we were in this discourse i found the gentlemen who dined with us were going and so we came downstairs and i went into the parlour to take leave of them before their departure when they were gone my husband told me that he had been talking with them about taking upon him the title of count or earl as if he had told me of and as an opportunity now offered he was going to put it in execution i told him i was so well settled as to not want anything this world could afford me except the continuance of his life and love the very thing he had mentioned joined with the death of my daughter in the natural way would have been much more to my satisfaction well my dear says he the expense will be but small and as i promised you the title it shall not be long before the honour shall be brought home to your toilette he was as good as his word for that day week he brought the patent home to me in a small box covered with crimson velvet and two gold hinges there my lady countess says he long may you live to bear the title for i am certain you are a credit to it in a few days after i had the pleasure to see our equipage as coach chariot etc all new painted and coronet fixed at the proper place and in short everything was proportioned to our quality so that our house vied with most of the other nobility it was at this juncture that i was at the pinnacle of all my worldly felicity notwithstanding my soul was black with the foulest crimes at the same time i may begin to reckon the beginning of my misfortunes which were in embryo but were very soon brought forth and hurried me on to the greatest distress End of section thirty four